More than three decades ago, a young, impressionable, and hopeful young woman, along with her husband, boarded a plane for a distant land. They were pursuing the opportunities that a fair and welcoming country had to offer. Some years later, that young mother would become a bank vice president and then a provincial cabinet minister. And her husband would spend a fruitful 35 years in the tech industry. I'm very proud of my parents. This room and this country are full of immigrants with similar success stories and success stories in the making. More than one quarter of a million new immigrants call Canada home on an annual basis, while millions and perhaps billions more continue to vie for a similar fate. Canada enjoys a reputation as an open and accommodating society, known for its progressive immigration policies and programs. We are pleased to, uh, uh, to welcome the Honourable Jason Kenney. He's here to outline ways in which his government is ensuring the success of immigrants in the new economy. Mr. Kenny was appointed Minister of Citizenship, Immigration and Multiculturalism in 2008 and was reappointed to the portfolio last May. He was also given the added responsibility of Chair of the Cabinet Committee on Operations, a committee that provides day-to-day -day coordination of the government's agenda including issues management, legislation, house planning and communications. Mr. Kenny has been re-elected to the House of Commons five times since, he first, since his first win in 1997. He was appointed Parliamentary Secretary to the Prime Minister in 2006 and Secretary of State for Multiculturalism and Canadian Identity the following year. His hard work, drive and initiative have been recognized by some of Canada's leading print media. Mr. Kenny has been named one of Canada's 100 leaders of the future by Maclean's magazine, one of the 21 Canadians to watch in the 21st century by the Financial Post magazine, and last November Maclean's named him the hardest working parliamentarian of the year. Minister Kenny, we are honoured to be joined by such an accomplished Canadian. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming our Minister of Citizenship, Immigration and Multiculturalism. Thank you very much, Nicholas, for that generous introduction and especially for the personal touch about your own family's, family's story of migration, a story that I think in one way or another we, we can all identify with. And thank you to uh, the Canadian Club for welcoming me here to uh, this prestigious Toronto platform for the first time. I'm honoured uh, to be here to talk about something that is hugely important to all of us, to this big, welcoming and prosperous country. Uh, we as Canadians have much to be grateful for. In a time of global economic uncertainty, when we see countries in Europe teetering on the verge of bankruptcy, even the Chinese economy slowing, and deep fiscal and economic problems south of the border, we can be grateful that thanks to the hard work of Canadians and some sound policy choices, uh, that we are leading the world uh, in so many respects. The G7 with the soundest fiscal environment, 
uh, with, uh, what, according to Forbes magazine, the best business environment in the world today, according to the World Economic Forum, the most stable banking and financial sector, uh, with uh, uh, the only or the first G8 country to have replaced all of the jobs lost during the recessionary period, seeing the creation of more than 610,000 net new jobs uh, in the past 18 months. And so uh, we stand poised for the future uh, to continue that record of growth and prosperity. And that is something our government will be very focused on in the uh, economic action plan uh, expressed in the upcoming federal budget. As the Prime Minister has said, a key part of that action plan will be reforming our immigration programs to do more, to do better in uh, ensuring that our uh, historic openness to newcomers works to fuel uh, prosperity in Canada's economy because we want an immigration system that works for newcomers and works for Canada. When that happens, we all succeed. As the Prime Minister said in his major address at the World Economic Forum in January, in the months to come, our government will undertake major transformations to position Canada for growth over the next generation, including significant reform of our immigration system. We will ensure that while we respect our humanitarian obligations and our family reunification objectives, that we make our economic and labour force needs the central goal of our immigration efforts in the future. Now, I'm here to talk to you today about how our immigration system can play that larger role in economic growth. We have a bit of a problem that we've been experiencing now for 30 years and increasingly today. The problem is really a paradox. Canada is experiencing huge and growing labour shortages. In fact, uh, in many parts of this country and in many industries, the number one economic concern and barrier is a shortage of workers for jobs that are available. And that's why we have been maintaining high levels of immigration. In fact, throughout the global economic downturn, many other developed countries slashed immigration levels, as Canada did before in its history. In the early 1980s recession, the then Trudeau government cut immigration levels almost in half. Again, in the mid-1990s, the Chrétien government reduced immigration levels from 250,000 to 175,000 over two years. They did so because the conventional wisdom used in Canada used to be, and still is in many other developed countries, that when the labour market tightens, when you're in a recessionary period, you reduce the inflow of immigrants uh, to ensure that unemployed uh, citizens are first in the queue for the available jobs. And that made sense in those contexts. But now, with our aging population, with our shrinking workforce, and with long-term prospects for sustained growth, we know that in Canada, the greater challenge will be, and already is, labour shortages. But here's the paradox. While we have huge and growing labour shortages in many industries and regions, we see at the same time many new Canadians stuck in unemployment or underemployment. And the goal of our immigration policy reforms will be to bridge that gap so that new Canadians arrive here 
as much as possible to go fully and productively into the workforce where they can care for their families, enjoy the dignity of work, work at their skill level, and contribute to our economy. So we all know the positive myth of immigration to Canada. It's part of who we are. Just think of Clifford Sifton's archetypal uh, recruitment posters that offered free land and drew millions to Canada as the last best West. The last best what is what drew millions of immigrants here? Think of Samuel de Champlain uh, or those fleeing the Irish famine in the 19th century as part of that long narrative of migration. Think of the Sikh labor, uh, lumber workers and, and Chinese railroad laborers who came here. Think uh, these are the people that helped to settle this land, drawn here by posters that read Canada, the most fertile country in the world. Generations of immigrants came here with a relentless work ethic to make our land uh, one of unparalleled and limitless potential, the true North strong and free. But is that myth completely true today? We continue to be an open and welcoming country. As I said, we have welcomed extraordinarily high levels of immigration. In fact, in the past five years, we have admitted on average over a quarter of a million new permanent residents, the highest sustained levels of immigration in Canadian history, representing just under 0.8% of our population added each year through immigration. That's the highest per capita level in the developed world at the same time that many countries like Australia and the UK have been cutting immigration levels. Uh, but notwithstanding these high levels of immigration, there are, of course, still infinitely more people around the world who dream of beginning a new life in Canada. In fact, according to a global Angus Reid survey a couple of years ago, at least two billion people around the world light, would like to immigrate to Canada. That's what I call a good problem to have. Unfortunately, as open and as welcoming as we are, we can't accept all of them, at least not at once. And that means Canada must uh, be selective about who we choose to enter the country. Uh, of course, we, we seek to do so in a way that is balanced. We have humanitarian obligations uh, to refugees, which we uh, give practical expression to by accepting more than one out of every 10 resettled UN Convention refugees from around the world. We have the highest level now of resettlement of Convention refugees per capita in the world, and we're actually increasing our resettlement targets by 20% and the integration support that we give those newcomers by 20%. And of course, we have large and generous, I think the most generous family reunification policies in the world. In fact, only about two out of every 10 immigrants to Canada are assessed based on their human capital as primary economic immigrants. Uh, and so, when it comes to selecting those primary economic immigrants, we must be sure that we're choosing the people who are most likely to succeed in Canada. Now, you all know the data, I suspect, that over the course of the past three to four decades, we have seen a regret regrettable decline in economic results for newcomers to Canada. Lower levels of employment, higher levels of unemployment lower incomes, higher levels of social dependency. And while there's an interesting debate between think tanks and scholars on quantifying exactly the degree to which uh, we have, we've seen a diminishment of economic results for newcomers, 
every research, every paper and every um, uh, research I've seen, piece of research I've seen on this agrees that over the course of the past 30 years, that newcomers on average have uh, received more in fiscal transfers than have contributed economically. Now that is not to say, and I emphasize this, not to say that newcomers have not contributed enormously to Canada in so many ways. And we can see just in this room the extraordinary success of people from all around the world, including people who didn't come with high levels of education. But here's the, po here's the point. For too long, the story of immigration to Canada has been summed up by the frustration of a highly trained professional who arrived with the expectation of being able to work at his or her skill level, only to find themselves frustrated by the barriers to employment, particularly in licensed professions, only to find themselves having to resort to working in survival jobs, facing underemployment. And you know these people. We all do. I've, I've heard so many heartbreaking stories, people literally breaking down in front of me, uh, like the couple uh, of the men and women from Colombia I met in Red Deer, Alberta, both of them highly trained dentists who were working as janitors in Red Deer, or the Syrian-trained obstetrician I met in Vancouver who had for five years been cleaning hotel rooms, or the proverbial cab driver we all meet who has that engineering or medical degree. To too great an extent, that has become the symbol of the failures of our economic immigration policies. There are many successes that we must celebrate, but we must have a frank discussion about fundamental reform to our immigration programs to ensure that everyone who arrives in this country has an equal opportunity to succeed. Because not only is there a, uh, an opportunity cost for those who arrive and face underemployment, there's also a human and an incalculable social and, and personal cost. Every one of those people who feel frustrated that they're not getting the equal shot, that they're locked out by an impossibly Byzantine credential recognition process, who, whose degrees or experience are not being recognized by Canadian employers, go home at night and feel depressed and ashamed uh, because they brought their family to not pursue the kind of opportunity they dreamed of. And we know those families in those circumstances. They, they tough it out. They work incredibly hard. They contribute enormously. And they do so with the dream and aspiration that their children will have a future in Canada that they never could have in their country of origin. And that remains absolutely true. But I don't think it's good enough for us to say, wait for your children to do, to do well. I think we must look at the data, look at the reality, and reform our economic immigration programs to ensure that, those, that, that as little as possible, uh, newcomers face that vicious cycle of under, underemployment or unemployment and, 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 uh, and disappointment that goes with it. Now, there are things that we know. We've done some major research in this area. We've just completed a major study of our uh, key federal economic immigration program called the Federal Skilled Worker Program. That's the point system. We know which factors are most likely to lead to early employment and higher levels of income and economic fulfillment. For example, we know that younger immigrants tend to do better than older immigrants. 
course, there's always exceptions to these rules, but I'm talking about the, the general lessons from the data. We know that people who have Canadian work experience obviously do, do better than those that don't. We know that people who have prearranged jobs in Canada before they get here do phenomenally well. In fact, based on our recent study, after three years after arrival, skilled workers who had a prearranged job are earning $79,000 average, in average salaries after just three years, much higher than the average in the population. But when you look at the overall level of unemployment for immigrants, uh, it is almost twice as high as for the average population. For immigrants with university degrees, it's three times higher than amongst native-born Canadians with university degrees. And so again, we have to look at those factors which we know lead to giving people a better shot. That's why, in the year to come, we will be making important reforms to our economic immigration programs. We will be reforming, uh, modifying the points grid that is the basis for selecting federal skilled workers, to put more emphasis on younger workers, on those with uh, prearranged uh, employment, on those with higher levels of language proficiency if they seek to come in to regulated professions. At the same time, we'll be creating greater flexibility. One of the uh, criticisms of our programs in the, in the last three decades has been that they've basically made it virtually impossible for skilled tradespeople to get access to Canada as immigrants, even though there are huge and growing labor shortages in the skilled trades, like construction trades and the like. And so we intend to create a new skilled trades stream that allows those talented uh, welders in construction trades, boilermakers and welders who have huge skills in much demand that are paying very good salaries to be able to come to Canada and in principle step off the plane directly in to gainful employment. We uh, have already made important reforms, particularly through the creation of the Canadian Experience class that allows um, foreign students who have obtained a two-year degree or diploma in Canada, or uh, foreign workers uh, who have done two years of work at a mid to high skill level to obtain permanent residency from within Canada on a fast-track basis. And we're going to add even additional flexibility to that program. By the way, that program makes so much sense. Can you believe in the past we used to tell um, foreign students who would invest in a degree in Canada at the end of their diploma or degree, we would say, thanks very much. You've now perfected your English or French language skills. You have a degree that will be recognized by Canadian employers. You might already have a job lined up here, but please leave the country. And if you want to immigrate, we'll get, get in the back of a seven-year-long queue, and we'll be in touch with you. That was the definition of stupidity. Now we've opened up the opportunity for those people to stay within Canada on a fast-track basis. And we're going to make that program more flexible as part of our reforms. <laughs> Yesterday, for example, no, excuse me, on Saturday, on St. Patrick's Day, you can still see I'm wearing my green tie. Uh, we, uh, met, I met with the Irish Deputy Prime Minister who was in town to open the Irish Immigration Centre. We are welcoming uh, tens of thousands of young people from around the world through our youth mobility programs are working holidays, including 5,500 per year from Ireland. Just, this is a microcosm of the sort of thing that we're doing. These are incredibly bright young people, many of them with degrees as engineers or architects, advanced skills, with 25% unemployment in their home country, 
coming to Canada on, on one or two year working holiday work permits. But if they get a good job in Canada and they want to stay, we don't let them in our current rigid system. Instead, we tell them to leave. Well, we're looking at reducing the threshold for qualifying for the Canadian experience class for foreign workers from two years to one year. So that if you're an employer here in Toronto who has one of these bright young Irish or other uh, kids on a working holiday visa, and you give them a job offer, in principle, they should be able to stay. This is what I'm talking about, moving from a slow, rigid, and very passive immigration system to one that is fast, flexible, and proactive. We must begin to empower employers and the business community to play a greater role in looking at the worldwide labor market to fill labor shortages, to work, and, and we as a government must facilitate that. So the typical experience of our immigration programs in the past has been a passive and slow-moving one. People from abroad expressing an interest in coming to Canada file an application and then forget about it for seven or eight years as their application slowly crawls through our old paper-based bureaucratic system. Often by the time we get to it, perhaps they're, they're, well, they're eight, seven or eight years older to begin with, perhaps their skills are not as relevant to the ones we need, and they certainly didn't have a job offer eight years ago that's still fresh in the Canadian labor market today. Where we need to go to is a system where a Canadian employer can say, these are the individuals abroad who we know have the skills to work upon arrival in Canada. We will offer them that job and then the deal on the, uh, on the part of the government will be to facilitate their admission into this country as soon as possible. Now in order to move from the slow and rigid system to a fast and flexible one, we need to deal with the big legacy problem of the huge backlogs that we inherited in our immigration system. Frankly, they came about just as a result of bad policy choices. Like I said, there's virtually an infinite number of people who would like to migrate here, but a finite number of people we can accept. Unfortunately, our system didn't recognize that. It was open-ended to an infinite number of applications and, so and, so, and with an obligation to process each and every one of them. So some years we were getting four to 500,000 immigration applications when, for example, under the previous government, they were accepting on average 220,000 people. What did that mean? Every year, another couple of hundred thousand people ended up queuing up, waiting to get on the plane to Canada with the ticket they thought they had acquired. And so we ended up now with a backlog of a million people and an average across our program's seven-year wait times. This means that the brightest young graduate of the Indian Institute of Technology in Hyderabad who might be the next Bill Gates or uh, brilliant uh, wealth-creating entrepreneur, can get into Australia or New Zealand in six months, but it has had to wait for years and years to come to Canada. We created a rigid system which, which meant that we were losing the competition for the world's best and brightest. And so we must unburden ourselves of that kind of slow and rigid system. And so we have taken measures through our action plan for faster immigration that have helped. We managed to cut in half the skilled worker backlog, but there's still uh, over 400,000 applications sitting there and, and many of them barely moving up the queue. And so we must take additional action in that regard. We, finally, we must also continue to ensure that newcomers are going to where the jobs are. That doesn't just mean geographically, it also means the businesses and the industries 
that are in need of, of, of talented immigrants. We have succeeded in, in beginning that process with a much better geographic distribution of newcomers across the country. So, for example, um, in the past five years, we've seen immigration to Saskatchewan quadruple, Manitoba triple, Alberta uh, double, and Atlantic Canada double. It's true that relatively fewer newcomers are uh, settling in Toronto and in Ontario than was the case a, few, a case a few years ago. But I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because now Ontario is getting the number of newcomers that is proportionate to its share of the Canadian population. And many newcomers through these provincial nominee programs that we've expanded are going straight into prearranged jobs in areas where there are red-hot labour markets and doing quite well. This, these changes, friends, are, are not about um, some kind of ideological agenda on immigration. It's about driving immigration reform through data and research. We've done a major research study on the provincial nominee program showing that they are working well. In the, in the initial years, the provincial nominees who are coming are doing, and typically going to the West, are doing considerably better than federal skilled workers, again, because that program typically is based on a prearranged offer of employment. So we should learn from the success of that program. But I can tell you, even with those big increases, employers are frustrated. I was just out in southeastern Saskatchewan, where they, they say they offer jobs to Canadians all across the country. They come and do recruitment fairs in Ontario and points east, and Canadians won't accept very good paying jobs. We're not talking about unskilled, we're talking about the entire skill spectrum. From uh, farm workers at $25 an hour, all the way up to lawyers. Can you believe it? They have a shortage of lawyers in Saskatchewan. So some of you Bay Street lawyers may want to think about moving west, but seriously, it's a, it's a good problem for them to have, I suppose. But we, if, if there are, those, you know, why aren't we creating an immigration program that would allow those Saskatchewan law firms, if they can't find a Canadian to take the work, to identify someone abroad who they know has the education and the experience to walk in and be able to work productively. And so, through all of these changes that uh, we'll be making uh, to reduce the backlogs, to improve our selection of skilled workers, to continue getting a, a better geographic distribution of newcomers, to uh, empower employers to proactively select uh, skilled workers, um, through, we'll also be looking at major reforms to our investor immigrant and entrepreneurial programs to make sure uh, that we're, we're Canada is getting the biggest bang for the buck possible through those programs that hold enormous potential because there are millions of millionaires who would love to come and contribute to this country. And all of these things, are uni our unifying vision is very simple. We want to uh, leave behind the rigidity uh, and in so many respects the failure of the past to a system that is fast, flexible, and proactive. Because at the end of the day, what matters most is that the newcomers who arrive with the promise of prosperity in Canada realize it and do so quickly. Because we all know that when immigrants succeed, Canada succeeds. Our government will continue to maintain Canada's historic generosity and openness. We will continue to lead the world as a land of opportunity uh, for newcomers. But all of us working together, the nonprofit sector, the business community, and government, uh, must uh, work towards transformational change in our immigration programs uh, to ensure that the, the positive myth of immigration to Canada is renewed uh, and that uh, newcomers who arrive are confident 
uh, that they won't have to st merely struggle, but that, that they will indeed succeed. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you very much, Minister Kenny. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have uh, a few minutes for some questions. Uh, we have uh, Belinda with a microphone, sorry, Carly with a microphone, Belinda with a microphone. Uh, just raise your hand, there's a question here, and uh, away we go. Hello, uh, my name is Victor. I'm the chair for the uh, Canada-China Business Communication Council. And my question to the Minister is, you have, uh, we have seven years of backlog of immigration application going on. Is there any possibility of uh, immigration amnesty coming up? That the last one we have, I believe, is close to 40 years ago. And my second question is, I do have a lot of members and, uh, uh, who complains to me that we are having a lot of difficulty of getting uh, temporary work, uh, worker, maybe we can start something with a temporary work permit, just like a uh, family help Lenny that will come in here, and later on, after three years, maybe they have a chance to apply for landed. Okay, thank you for those questions, Victor. First of all, um, you know, uh, we're already accepting, uh, on average, 254,000 permanent residents a year. This year, it'll probably be over 260,000. Um, there's a million people in the queue for all of our programs. Uh, I don't think it would be feasible for us to suddenly admit uh, one point, you know, over a million immigrants in a year. And let's be honest about the, about the numbers, the quantum of immigration. While Canadians, you know, I, I am extraordinarily grateful as Minister of Immigration to be in a country where there is really virtually no uh, opinion in our debate that is xenophobic or anti-immigrant, unlike in Western Europe and in, 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 in other developed countries. There is a broadly pro-immigration consensus in this country, with two caveats, I would say. Firstly, people want to ensure that our system is based on the consistent application of fair rules so that people respect the rules and don't seek to avoid them in coming into the country, which is why we've been reinforcing our integrity measures. And secondly, people have, I think, a, a certain sense that there are practical limits to how many people we can successfully integrate over time. And that is why the polling consistently shows that while people are generally positive about immigration and open to it, um, only about 10 to 15 percent of Canadians say they want to increase immigration levels from where they are. About 40% say hold the line where we are and 45% say reduce levels. Now what's interesting is that new Canadians are more likely to say reduce levels than increase them because I think they know the, the, the difficulty that many people go through in, uh, in finding jobs and, and successfully integrating. So I think it wouldn't be responsible uh, either practically or frankly in terms of maintaining public support for immigration to just sort of uh, open, open the doors to, to a million people. And, and by the way, let's be clear. While we need immigration to deal with the aging of the population, uh, a lot of research indicates that 
immigration cannot realistically be the only answer to the aging of our population. For us merely to maintain the current average age of our population through immigration alone would require that we more than quadruple levels, going to over a million newcomers per year, and eventually, I think within 20 years, going up to 7 million immigrants a year, running levels at about 4% of population. That is, I would submit, um, you know, look, there are people like open borders libertarians and, uh, and, that, and the like who would support that, but I think that's a very marginal view. On the second issue, we do have such a program. It's called the uh, Live and Caregiver Program, and we issue, I think, in the range of 10,000 visas a year for uh, in-home caregivers who after two years essentially can apply for and receive permanent residency. The problem is in that program that as soon as they get permanent residency, they leave the, the, that work and then we have to bring in, so there's a bit of a revolving door and there are issues we need to address in that program. Thank you for your questions. Uh, over here at the left. Uh, Minister Noel Richardson, Chief Diversity Officer for uh, agencies with the Ministry of the Attorney General. Um, first of all, I want to commend you on the, on the reforms. I think uh, it's uh, certainly long overdue. But I think uh, the reforms that you talked about is, represent only one half of the equation. And uh, we know that there's another part to, to that, and I'm talking about the biases that we have uh, that uh, extend themselves to uh, immigrants and um, that we all have and that immigrants also bring with them uh, when they come here. I'm wondering what you and the government uh, might propose to encourage employers to address the attitudinal barriers, which some might say represent greater barriers than the systemic adjustments that you um, have, have talked about? And is there any talk about a focus, perhaps, on social inclusion so that we can address the situation of people who are already ex in existence in Canada who are also um, facing uh, difficulties in becoming um, in gaining access to, to the system? I would say yes, absolutely. We, we address many of those issues through, for example, our multiculturalism program, but we also work very proactively with employers uh, to help them understand the advantages of hiring newcomers. We've, we've published a, uh, uh, an employment guide for, uh, excuse me, a, a guide for employing newcomers to Canada that we've distributed tens of thousands of copies of to employers. We've worked with the Canadian Sectoral Council, Council and uh, the, uh, uh, the, the, the industry groups that deal with employment. Um, we are supporting uh, internship and mentorship programs. We started th those kinds of programs in the federal public sector. Boy, it's been quite a fight to get the rigidity of federal bureaucracy to open up to allow public servants to mentor uh, immigrants. My own department is bringing in, uh, for example, uh, refugees who, who've gone through the university system in Canada, giving them internships and then offering many of them permanent positions. We now have over a couple of dozen federal agencies and ministries uh, doing ministry, doing mentorship programs. TRIAC and, and the other employment councils across the country are doing great work. Um, we, we've, we've also, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're working very hard with the provinces on the issue of credential recognition. Uh, this is, of course, an area of provincial responsibility, but we had, the Prime Minister did get the provinces to sign an agreement to develop a national uh, benchmark for faster and streamlined uh, credential recognition for foreign-trained licensed professionals. We're investing $50 million, real resources, into the hard, detailed work of hammering out that streamlined process. And we've just launched a bunch of pilot projects to provide uh, micro-loans for skills uh, 
upgrades for uh, foreign trained professionals to help them pay for the additional courses they might need to get their licensure um, uh, or um, uh, to, uh, to pay for the exams, the certification exams. Um, and, and so, so uh, you know, I think these, altogether these represent a pretty significant effort to, uh, um, to, 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 to reduce or eliminate a lot of these barriers. Um, of course, some of the intangible things you're talking about, I don't think there's an easy programmatic way of, of resolving those. It's a cultural issue that we all have to continue working on. Thank you for the question. Uh, Minister, we'll take one more from uh, this lady in the back. Thank you. Uh, Minister Kenny, I heard you speaking about uh, bringing in skilled trade workers. Um, what would your comment be and your government's opinion on newcomers who are currently underemployed or unemployed being given the skilled trades training here in Toronto? Well, uh, I think that's that's a huge uh, issue. Um, the first of all, as I've said, skilled tradespeople typically have not been able to immigrate to Canada through our uh, our regular programs. That has changed somewhat in the considerably actually in the past five years in parts of the country through the expansion of the Provincial Nominee Program. Because really, at its core, that's a program that facilitates employers who need skilled tradespeople to recruit them from abroad and bring them in on a fast-track basis. That's kind of the typical uh, story with those, fa those expanded Western programs. But here in Ontario, uh, because the province uh, decided not to uh, pursue the Provincial Nominee Program in its uh, earlier phases, um, we don't have the same pathway for uh, immigration uh, for skilled tradespeople. And so uh, that's why I'm saying that uh, we are going to create a skilled trade stream in the federal skilled worker program that will, for example, have a lower language benchmark for skilled tradespeople than one for people hoping to come into licensed professions. You, don't, you know, frankly, to be a medical doctor or an engineer, you do need to be essentially fluent. To be a welder or in the construction trades, you need a certain degree of proficiency, but not university-level proficiency. That's when I say more flexibility in the way we assess these things. And so essentially that program will be designed so that if someone has an offer for a skilled trade position here, we assume the employer knows the person has the ticket or the certification necessary, or they could come in on an apprenticeship program until they get their Red Sealed certification. So we'll be working with employers to make that, uh, to make that work. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much, Minister Kenny. I'd like to welcome uh, Ratna Omidvar uh, to the podium. Thank you, Minister, for being with us today and joining us at the Canadian Club. Indeed, Canada is a, in a unique place, such a large country with so much to offer, with such a small population. And I think we all agree with you, you have a good problem to solve. And I'm encouraged, as we all are, in hearing you say you're looking for to take the stupidity out of the rules, to make your, the system fast, flexible, and proactive, and in doing so, that you will try and seek to balance all the competing needs in the immigration file, which are complex, and, and in doing so, remember that immigration is not just about headhunting, but about nation building. There is a good rumor out there, I'm sure the minister has heard it, that 
people say them, this minister does not sleep. Um, because he keeps coming out with policy announcements almost on a daily basis, and those at the receiving end of it, like my institution, we are also kept sleepless at times. Um, but certainly nowhere are his announcements followed with greater interest than in this city of immigrants, Toronto, because we know that in this city, and indeed in Canada, that we will only prosper if Canada's immigrants and newest citizens prosper alongside with it. So again, Minister, thank you very much for joining us on behalf of the Canadian Club. Have a good meal and a good day. Thank you, Ratna. Now, before we adjourn for lunch, uh, bear with me uh, another moment or two while I list a few upcoming events. On March 28th, we are pleased to host His Eminence, Thomas Cardinal Collins, Archbishop of Toronto, as he gives his first speech since becoming a cardinal. And on March 30th, Canada's Finance Minister, Jim Flaherty, will speak at the Canadian Club of Toronto one day after presenting the 2012 Canadian budget. To order tickets to these or any Canadian Club events, please visit our website at canadianclub.org. And don't forget that a podcast of the, premiers, uh, of the uh, minister's remarks will be available in a couple of days on iTunes. Simply visit the event listing on our website to download it. While you're online, online check out our Twitter feed. You can follow us at CDNCLUBTO, that's short for Canadian Club Toronto, for all the latest updates. This concludes our television programming, which will be broadcast on Rogers TV in the days to come. We continue to be grateful to Rogers TV and 680 News for their promotion of Canadian Club events. One last thing. I'd like to ask the minister to draw a business card from our bowl. The lucky winner will receive a bottle of premium Ontario Amarone-styled wine from the Foreign Affair Winery, pioneered and owned by Canadian Club member Len Crispino. And from Triac, Jessica Hume. Congratulations, Jessica. Lynn will bring you your prize. And ladies and gentlemen, please uh, rise as you are able and join me in a toast to Canada. To Canada. Enjoy your lunch.